Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. One of my favorite people, and have been for uh, years, and I'm not going to say how many, but the book itself, uh, My People, Five Decades of Writing, about Black Lives, Charlene Hunter Gaunt. Thank you so much for being here on the Madison Show. Um, the first, Can I say I'm happy to be here? <laughs> yeah, look, at, at, at our age and our experience, I, I always tell when people say, hey, Charlene, when people say, it's nice seeing you, I always, I, my standard reply now, better to be seen than viewed. So, right, right. you know, so God bless us all uh, for being Thank here. You. Uh, everybody. Everybody coming on TV these days says, thank you for having me. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. And no matter what the subject is, right? No right, matter. Exactly. <laughs> Hurricane in Florida. Well, hey, glad to be here. <laughs> Anyhow. But, be here. But, thank you for having me. <laughs> so we, as you folks can tell listening, we're going to keep it real here always with uh, Charlene <laughs> Hunter Galt. Um, let's go from the beginning. The genesis of this of of coming up with this new book, uh, you you know you're, Mar- you're up on Martha's Vineyard. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit about the recent news up there. Uh, but <laughs> but what what was the genesis? Why did you uh, decide that this this book had to be written? My people, five decades of writing about Black lives. Yeah, I can't remember who initially uh, uh, told talked to me about doing this. But in the end, um, I talked to a few people and said, you know, should I do this? And then I remember, like I told somebody the other day, I was telling people I was 81. And I said, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. So I I wrote down the, the year that I was born and subtracted it from 2022. And I'm only 80. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, so I don't remember exactly how it got started, but, um, I was put in touch with, uh, Skip Gates's, uh, agents and they looked around and found this wonderful young, uh, woman who is, uh, Sarah Reed, who, uh, ended up being my editor and she was just a delight. And so it's been, um, a wonderful experience because as I went through, my pieces, it, this is something I already knew and have talked about it a lot, but it, it was clear to me that my history was my armor. And that goes back to, you know, when I first started uh, publishing pieces. And I think, um, you know, it was just something that I said, maybe this could be helpful to younger people today as they move into positions that I had years ago. And, um, you know, I look at some of the pieces that are in the newspapers, various papers these days, and sometimes I get a little upset. Why? Well, because when I worked for the New York Times, for example, you had to, if it was a news story, you had to tell what it was about in the first paragraph. It was called the lead. And then in the second paragraph, you had to expand it. And then you could expand it even more, you know, whether you were writing a long fact piece or a short fact piece or what we used to call a second front 
which is uh, one of those uh, pieces in the book is about Martha's Vineyard, actually. And that was on the second front. I called my editor, Arthur Gelb, when I was up here in the early, I guess it was around 72 or 73. I can't remember exactly now, but I said, Mr. Gelb, I, Arthur, I think I called him. I said, Arthur, I have come across an amazing story. <laughs> it was like I discovered Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and I said, I don't remember whether I was just trying to get some extra days on vacation, but actually <laughs> <laughs> I did get them. But the journalists, the yeah. journalists they did see a good story. Yeah. And um, yeah, that that's how it yeah, hey, sort hey, of I, I got it, Charlene uh, Hunter. I, I'm going to make a confession too. So I get invited up to Martha's Vineyard. I didn't know anything about Martha's Vineyard. I'm Midwest. I I just didn't know, and uh, got invited to speak. And I and I'm walking down the street, you know, and and people, hey, oh Madison, we listen to you, Madison. And I go back to Sirius XM, the powers to be, like our programmers. I said. Man, these are our people. This is our audience. And right. we need to come up here and do a show. Let's do a week on the vineyard. And I'm like you. Eh, it's a nice day. I mean, hey, a good week to spend on the, not bad to spend on the vineyard. So it's That's a com- right. You know, it's coming. And, and then, of course, I get an opportunity the first time to meet you and, and interview you. And it was just like you could combine work and pleasure. And exactly. that's that's what I hear you saying, and and yes. that that now let me bring this up in the in the book uh, again. My people, five decades of writing about Black lives. Do you are you both a a journalist and an activist? Well, let me put it this way: um, I've made a few speeches in my day, and I've said, you know, I have several uh, identities. I'm a black, I'm a black woman, I'm a journalist, um, you know, I'm a PK, that is, you you would know, but I find yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't even know what a PK yeah, is. Yeah, preacher's kid, you know. Okay. Preacher's kid. And, and I think that you can't escape your identities, but as a journalist, I've tried to be fair and balanced. I hate the term objective. Because we can't be objective. I mean, our computers may be objective or, you know, something else in my living room might be objective, but human beings cannot be objective. They're human. And so while we try to be fair and balanced, objective isn't a term I like to use for what we journalists should be doing. We should be presenting information that is fair and balanced that will help our listeners and our viewers and our readers understand the total context um, of of what we're doing. Well, give, give, give us an example that's in the book of how that might have caused difficulty in, in your, in your 50 years covering black people. You know, um, I can't think of any, Specifically, um, I remember being in South Africa um, when uh, the man who uh, murdered his girlfriend um, and I said I wanted to do a piece on it. And 
I was very impressed with the black woman judge. Now, in the end, uh, there were some issues, but uh, when I wrote that piece, there weren't these issues and the history of, of a person, no matter what happens later on in their life, but if you're talking about a certain period, um, that's what I was that's what I was doing. And um so in the part of the book called I think it's the one called Sisters or something like that, um, I wrote about her because she had been a journalist before becoming a judge and she had protested apartheid and she had helped other journalists uh do their work. And I was just very impressed. And by the time she got to the bench, you know, she had earned a degree in law and all of that. But, but um, you know, it, it was only later uh, when she made a subsequent decision um, that she got into a little bit of trouble. But I wasn't writing about that period. I was capturing a moment uh, in her life and her history. And, um, you know, so that's how it went. And then the difficulty that you uh, talk about in the book, at at least you share it, about, you you write about, and that is covering black issues. I mean, New York Times and and, uh, NPR and PBS, CNN, um, how difficult years ago, decades ago, was it to be able to uh, do that? The reason I bring it up is that there's often this attitude well, we can't put a black person on this story because, and let's go back to what you said, they can't be objective. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I remember those days. Well, no, you can't. Uh, and and I'm not, I'm not a, and I always tell people, I am not a journalist. I may use journalistic techniques, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not a journalist. Um, mm-hmm. And because and I'm like you, I, I'm, I'm not required to be objective. I'm, a, I'm required to... <laughs> tell it like it is and sometimes because it's serious xm unfiltered which is a lot of fun um right <laughs> but 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 did you have to go through and do you write about that do you did you have to go through that that period the period of of, of, of being able to t- convince an editor i should be doing this story and don't well, give, don't give me this uh that uh, i can't be objective because i'm i'm black and a woman I, ne- I never heard that. Uh, what I did hear when I first I moved to uh, uh, New York from D.C., where I had been working for NBC and doing specials on uh, Black issues, that's what they set, brought me in to do. It was called News for Probe, and we probed in the Black community, which was quite extraordinary at that time. Irv Margolis, white uh, editor, uh, was the one who hired me after uh, he met me during a seminar after Martin Luther King was murdered. And and so uh, it wasn't too difficult for me when we moved to New York, my husband Ron and I, we weren't married then, but don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> we moved to New York and my friends who were working at the Times then suggested that I come and talk to the editor, uh, Arthur Gelb. So I did, and he he must have had a little advance notice from the Black reporters who were there. He said, so let me ask you a question. If I sent you to Harlem to cover something, uh, 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 one of your friends who had done something bad, mm-hmm. would you be able to tell that story? And I said, well, 
it depends, <laughs> you know, because, and my answer was because so many black people get accused of things back in the day. And even now uh, that just weren't right, that they didn't do. It was just a perception uh, that caused people to make con draw conclusions about who they were. So he said, I said, well, it, it just would depend on whether that was a true uh, story or if I needed to dig a little deeper. Well, he must have liked the, uh, the, the argument or the answer because of, mm, I don't know exactly how long it was, another year or so. But I also convinced him after I had been doing general coverage to let me go and open a Harlem bureau. Hmm. So how else are you going to know people unless you live among them? Right, right. And that's what I wanted to do. I had a wonderful lawyer who had a great office up uh, at 125th and 7th. And he gave me one of the little rooms in his office that I could look over the street and see 125th Street, you know, that famous street. Right. And 125th and 7th. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, Arthur actually had never been to Harlem. And one day after I got the, when we were working on setting up the bureau up there, he came up. And I walked him around Harlem, which he had never done. And there came a point when some brothers were coming in our direction and they were not dressed in tuxedos, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, they were jeans and tights yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. They were home. Yeah, they were at home. And he got a little uncomfortable. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, boy, excuse us. And they just moved over and we walked on. See, that's the thing. The perception. Yeah. Of, of of black people, especially men, but also women, is something we need to confront because so many people have these notions in their head about who we are. And but that and was so I, then. Is it the same mm -hmm. thing now? Well, it's changing a little bit. I mean, and and here is where I think people like you and hopefully people like me uh, can help make the difference because. We have made some progress as we have over the years, as we have going back to 1600, but we have to have what we know be put into action. And so what I'm seeing is more people of color, more women of black women of color and Latins uh, being brought on to news stories, to news programs. Now, the real question is, how much of a difference is that going to make in the final analysis? Well, when I listen to the Sunday news programs, which where everybody says, oh, thank you for having me. Um, I find that the black people, especially like people like Donna Brazil, um, I mean, they speak from their history as well as from their current situations. And so being able to combine the past with the present in the many cases, helps you get to the real deal, is what how I would like but, to put it. But that is that's in because quite candidly, um, that that describes you. I mean, you made look. You made news um, as a young. Oh, I hate to use the word activist. I mean, you are a student, boy. I mean, your image is seared in my brain. And your efforts to and uh, de demanding admission to the University of Georgia—it is literally seared in my brain. 
Um, wow. And and I mean, ju- I mean, just like the Little Rock Nine seared in my and yeah. and, and 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 um, and 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 you are you're really describing yourself, and then you become a journalist. Now, did you you didn't start off going to the University of Alabama wanting to be a journalist, did you? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. excuse me. Okay. Yeah. So you did. Yeah, University of Georgia. Yeah, because when I was a little girl, and this will tell you something about our history okay. and my, your people. My grandmother used to read three newspapers a day. And I would sit at her knee and wait for the comics. And I fell in love with the comic strip character, Brenda Starr. Now, oh, here, God. You know, but here's where, here's where our history is so right. important. I told my mother, I was five or six years old, and, I, and living in a segregated town, Covington, Georgia. And I said, Mommy, when I grow up, I want to be like Brenda Starr. Right. And my mother... I don't know whether it was the history in her soul or what, but just very quietly and casually, she said, if that's what you want to do. She didn't say, that's not what little black girls Girls do. Yeah, right. Because all over the South, that wasn't possible. Even up South, uh, that wasn't wasn't possible. But, um, you know, my first hero was Brenda Starr. A, co- a comic but, book, a comic book. But character. then, but wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. But, but there's another part to that. Because as, shh, as oh. I got older, um, I learned at my segregated school about Ida B. Wells. And so while my first inspiration was a, a, a white woman with blue eyes and heading, heading loving a one-eyed mystery man, uh, my next role model was, um, was yeah, yeah, was was Ida B. Wells, and that is one of the most wonderful ones uh, I have ever yeah, isn't read that about. Interesting. That's the, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 because all, she was an activist, she she was an activist that's right. as well as a journalist. That's right. That's exactly right. And led the as as we. It, the anti-lynching uh, campaigns of, of of those of that era, absolutely. Uh, so now, uh, uh, perspective based on experience. So, what do you want white readers who pick up your new book, "My People: Five Decades of Writing About Black Lives," to get out of it? And what do you want black readers to get out of it? And, and and is it the same? Well, again, this is what they say on television. That's a good question. <laughs> I think it's sometimes when people are, you know, stalling so they can think of the answer. But, you know, uh, we have always been, I grew up uh, during, a little bit later, actually, when I went to UGA, uh, with the civil rights movement. But when I walked into my uh, high school, it was named for Henry McNeil Turner, who, as you know, was one of the great uh, abolitionists uh, to serve in the, in the Reconstruction era. And so what I'm hoping is that somehow these pieces that are positive about people of color, Black people, and a couple of white ones in there too, 
Um, but they see a different perspective. And unless they have completely shut down, which I hope the people in our country have a, I live in hope. In fact, my daughter has a piece back there that says hope. And I look at it every morning because that's what I hope, that if you give them good information, they will do the right thing. That was a quote that I learned from Jim Lehrer many years ago. If you if you give people good information, they will do the right thing. And so that's where the PK in me and the seasoned journalist in me and the black woman in me, that's how I that's mm. how I see things. You know, I don't give up. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, today, uh well, it depends on when this airs, but um uh, I, I really went off on, it was a, I think it was a Fox News panel uh, where somebody made the comment that uh, one person's <clears throat> misinformation is another person's information. Mm-hmm. And I flipped out. I, well, I usually every morning flip out, but it's an act. But 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 it's sincere. I mean, and then I'm going, misinformation is deliberate in, in yes. many cases. And, and, You're right. And here we are, in this, and this is what kind of, and this must drive you crazy. You speak for yourself. Shouldn't young journalists today uh, get have a, a, a sense of institutional history? That's what bothers me more than anything when I watch these uh, panel discussions and commentators, that they, they, there seems to be a lack of institutional history. And I'm just wondering mm. if you get the same sense. Well, I think there's some great journalists out there, Black as well as white, as well as Asian, um, you know, because uh, the, our, our profession is getting more integrated, shall we say, um, so when you look at uh, the people who are pre- presenting the news and telling a context, giving context to stories, uh, I think for the most part, they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, for example, here on Martha's Vineyard uh, with uh, Henry Louis Gates every year, uh, we have a, 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 a panel discussion right, at right. the yeah, Old Welling Church. And this year, this, this past year, um, Larry Bobo, the professor who usually gives the wrap up, couldn't make it. So we were saying, well, who should come? And I said, I have the best idea ever. And they said, oh, come on, ever? I said, ever. Yamish Alcindor. She had just been named Mm -hmm. um, head of uh, Washington Week. And I knew her personally all the years she's been with the News Hour. Man, she blew, when when the whole panel discussion was over and it was Capehart and Brooks and several other people who were amazing and she had a couple of notes but i rarely saw her look down at the notes it it, it was all in her head mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's young people like that yeah yeah that i try to share my own experience with and there was also a young woman um who who helped do the research on my book, who was a UGA graduate. And I mean, Chelsea, Kelsey, and she was just amazing. And so I try to embrace younger people. In fact, it's becoming a cliche in my own life, but I really do 
propose a coalition of the generations right, because people right. like you who've had certain experiences in the past, people like me, we can add to what these young people are doing today and we can give good advice, yeah, I think, yeah. as long as they're willing to take it. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I've got to wrap this up, but the book, let me once again, uh, and I so appreciate you coming on, uh, my, our buddy Skip Gates, he, one of the things that he knows about my audience, and that is they will, I've been pushing, buy books, buy, look folks, you got the holiday gifts, perfect time, but buy books. And this one, we're going to make sure it gets on all our social um, um, network and, and my people five decades of writing about black lives and Charlene Hunter Galt I would be remiss if I did not get your opinion about the what happened in the news lately with folks going up to Martha being sent to Martha's venue and what did how did it impact that uh, that community and I'm kind of smiling because now they're trying to get back to Florida because the jobs are now in Florida because of the hurricane. Right, right. Well, here's the thing. I got a, a an email from uh, uh, Richard Prince from Journalism. Yeah, right. And he was yeah. saying that he had seen all this coverage, but he hadn't seen anything that related to the people of color on the vineyard. And I sent him a couple of things that I had uh, <clears throat> I had come across because increasingly the uh, real estate here on the vineyard is going up, 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 but the poor people and the homeless are going wider, wider, wider. Mm. And yet there are people on this vineyard who try to take care of them. One of them is my daughter, Susan, who used to, she, she makes food. Uh, for them, uh, for people, homeless people that she knows. But there are so many people who stepped up and who didn't like the way the vineyard was being presented as some, you know, fancy place for white people or rich people. And all kinds of people are here, rich black people, homeless black people. And yet this goes back to what I was talking about, about journalism. We have to dig deep so that we know the history, even when it happens quickly, as that one did. But, you know, I've listened to the reporting on Ukraine, and I see the things that they put up on the on the screen to show, you know, percentages of this and that and the other. And I'm saying we have to do better giving detail and all sides of a story. I, I mean, I remember years ago, who was it, the, the journalist um, who said, this instrument can teach. It can illuminate, it can inspire, but it can only do so to the extent that people are willing to use it to those ends. Otherwise, it's merely lights and wires in a box. Now, he was talking about television, but it's the same with all these papers. Yeah, it's the same, no matter what. Journalism is journalism. Well, I got to tell you, first of all, I, I say this... I, and and I I'm I'm just going to be straight up honest. You know, when I had a chance to meet you, and we were just getting off the airplane, you were, I remember you were waiting on a friend of yours, uh, I guess a young mentor of yours, and I said to him, I said, "There's Charlene, there's Charlene Hunter Golf," you know, and and uh, we just and it was it was just such a real conversation, 
and then mm-hmm. and and then uh, you know we're good friends with Eleanor Holmes Norton, who's been your oh yeah yeah and and you know and uh, I said Eleanor, can you get her on the show? And uh, it was a thrill having you on, just like it is a thrill having you on now. And I say that out of deep respect for for you from the very beginning, and and so glad that you're still on the case. So thank you for coming on, and we're coming back. Uh, with our show next next summer, we're gonna come back. I'll be here. Good. I'll be and, here. All right. We'll, we'll we'll get a hold to you and and look forward to it. The book, please, everybody, order it now. It's my my people. Five decades of writing about Black lives. Charlene Hunter Galt. Thanks a lot for being on the man. Audio book. And oh, there's also yeah. Oh, an audio book. So you you got it one way or the other, both ways. Get both, please. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's All been right. a pleasure. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.